Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We'll also be looking at a Belgian Confession article 21 in just a few uh, moments here. But first, let's read our text from Hebrews uh, chapter 7, continuing our focus on uh, this Melchizedek and how it relates to Jesus Christ and our atonement. If you're looking for the book of Hebrews, you'll find uh, this particular passage on page 1191 in our Black Pew Bibles, Hebrews uh, chapter 7. And we'll be reading the first uh, 17 verses. Again, that's found on page 1191, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, hear the word of the Lord. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abram apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And that's really the focus there in verse 3. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it testified that he lives. The one might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And that's as far as reading in Hebrews. If you can keep your Bibles open, we're going to be looking at these verses uh, in just a few moments. But also as a summary of our, our Christian faith concerning particularly the atonement, if you'd like to read along with me, I'm going to be reading from Belgic a Confession, Article 21. Now, the Belgic Confession is found in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnals, so in the back of our songbooks, 
You can turn to page 862, 862, and we're going to be reading just the first two paragraphs here concerning the atonement. So Belgian Confession, Article 21, that's page 862. Read the first two paragraphs. Uh, We believe that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, made such by an oath, and that he presented himself in our name before his father to appease his wrath with full satisfaction by offering himself on the tree of the cross and pouring out his precious blood for the cleansing of our sins as the prophets had predicted. For it is written that the chastisement of our peace was placed on the Son of God and that we are healed by his wounds. He was led to death as a lamb. He was numbered among sinners and condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though Pilate had declared that he was innocent. And then the uh, second to last paragraph, Therefore we rightly say with Paul that we know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. We consider all things as dung for the excellence of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find all comforts by his wounds, and we have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God than this one and only sacrifice, once made, which renders believers perfect forever. That is why the angel of God called him Jesus, that is, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. And that's as far as reading in the Belgian Confession. We pray for the blessing of our God upon the preaching of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is your Savior big enough? Is your Redeemer able It is an instructive exercise to ask yourself the question, if you look at all the major world religions in this world, who is the one that established these men who authorized these religions? Uh, For example, you can consider uh, Muhammad, who's supposed to be a prophet of God, the beginning of the Islam faith. Who made him a prophet? Who set him up to this highly exalted uh, position? Or you can consider uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. He was also a, a supposed prophet who spoke on behalf of God. Who exalted him to be in that position? So when we bring things uh, back, how do we know that Jesus Christ is the Christ? That he is the perfect, the final, the one who we are to trust in as our prophet, priest, and as our king? Well, today, as we look at Belgian Confession 21, we are going to look at the atonement through the lens of Melchizedek, and specifically, who is it that made Jesus Christ to be the Christ? Who anointed him to be our prophet, our priest, and our king? Now, the rise of the order of Melchizedek, as we find in Genesis and again in the book of Hebrews, gives us a unique picture on the role and office of Jesus Christ, a unique insight into his work, which reminds us of his capability, his ability to do that which is asked of him. And now perhaps you have tried to use a tool in a function contrary to its designed purpose. For example, you may have used a wrench as a hammer sometime in your life, and you know how ineffective it is to use the wrong tool 
How do we know that Christ is capable to do that which is necessary of him? And who is it that appointed him to be the Christ, the Messiah? So we're going to be looking at this theme uh, this morning, that Jesus Christ fulfills the order of Melchizedek for the complete atonement of his people. Jesus Christ fulfills the order of Melchizedek for the complete atonement of his people. In our first point then, we are going to to zoom in. We're going to focus in on this shadowy figure called Melchizedek. You'll find his name mentioned in our Belgic Confession Article 21. It says this, Jesus Christ is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So before we see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, we have to first look at this Melchizedek, this shadowy figure. Who was he and what did he do? What was his role? So let's look at this man as he comes out to meet uh, Abram in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis 14, we find that Melchizedek arrives on the scene and has an interaction with Abram. Now, children, uh, just uh, by way of reminder, this is before Abram became Abraham before he was renamed by God. And Abram has just come back from a a, a victory. He had gone out to battle with his mighty men and defeated the kings. And he meets with two men. Abram meets with two men with two kings. Abram meets the king of Sodom and he meets the king of Salem. Now, in order to make sure we're all on the same page here, Salem is going to be renamed or further named Jerusalem. It's the same word, Salem, Shalom, Jerusalem. So here we have the introduction of who is the king of Jerusalem meeting Abram. And his name is Melchizedek. Now, you'll see in, uh, in our, our outline here in the bulletin, I, I divided the name up, Melchizedek. Melchi, the word Melchi means king. So he is king. And Sedek means righteousness. So if you divide his name, he is the, literally the king of righteousness or the righteous king. And he's also the king of Salem or the word Salem means peace. He is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. But not only is he is the righteous king and the king of peace, he is also called, back in Genesis 14, he is called the priest of the Most High God. A priest of the great Almighty God. The same God who Abram will, will call upon, the same God who called Abram out of Ur, is here ministered to by Melchizedek. And as a priest, Melchizedek is going to bless Abram. So this man is not only a king, but he is a a priest king, a priest king who rules and blesses. And as such, he is going to be elevated to a position higher than Abram which is, uh, for a Jewish reader, uh, something which should strike bells. This is shocking. Someone greater than Father Abraham? How do we know that Melchizedek is greater than Father Abraham? Because Melchizedek blesses Abram. And as Hebrew says, the superior one blesses the inferior one. So Melchizedek blesses Abraham, or Abram, And Abram gives spoils or or tithes 
to Melchizedek. And then just like that, Melchizedek vanishes from the pages of Genesis. Three verses. We have three verses. But there is a a deep mystery here. Three verses in Genesis 14. But when we keep in mind the the redemptive historical events and significance that are at play here. So we have a, a king and a priest who is ruling and serving from the very place that the future temple will stand. Redemptive historically, Jerusalem is the place where the future temple will stand. So we have a king ruling in Jerusalem who is a priest that was serving in the place where the future temple will stand. So Melchizedek, who is this man? He's a king. He's stated as a righteous king, a king of peace. He's identified as the first known king of what will one day be called Jerusalem. That means that later on, even though Jerusalem is going to be called the city of David, rightly speaking, Jerusalem was first the city of Melchizedek. He is not only a king, he is a priest, a priest of the Most High God. Therefore, Melchizedek is is greater than David, the great king, He is greater than Abram because Melchizedek blesses Abram. And he is even greater than all the descendants of Abraham. Uh, That's what the writer of Hebrews, the point that he makes in Hebrews 7, he's going to say that even though uh, Abraham as the father of the patriarch has not yet received the law. He's not yet received circumcision. He hasn't received a commandment to build a tabernacle or temple. It will be his offspring, his line, that will bring the tribe of Levi, the Levites, the Aaronic priesthood is going to come from Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews says, when you draw all these things back, if you look at Levi, the the tribe of Levi, who will be the priest, or Aaron, who will be the great high priest, you draw these things back to Abraham, and Abraham was inferior, was submissive, was under Melchizedek. Therefore, Melchizedek, as a priest, is greater than the entire Levitical priesthood. And this point is going to be proven as we look at the permanency. How long is Melchizedek known as a priest? We're going to get into this more in our second point. But the writer of Hebrews is saying Melchizedek is a priest based on a vow, not based on a a biological lineage. Melchizedek is not made a priest because he has a certain father. He's a priest because God called him. He's a priest by way of vow. He's distinct. And he is identified as the eternal priest because Melchizedek just shows up on the pages of Genesis 14 and then disappears. We read nothing of his birth and nothing of his death. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews is going to say this is presenting him as an eternal priest without beginning and end. So to summarize our first point, we have this shadowy figure, three verses. He's, he's mentioned again in Psalm 110 when he sang, sang that a few minutes ago. 
He is a priest king. He is a king of righteousness, a king of, of peace. He is greater than Abram. He's greater than King David. He's greater than the high priest Aaron, greater than the entire Levitical order. And if you're a Jew reading this, I mean, this is like DEFCON 10. Like, what is going on? Who is this guy? What is the significance of him? It sounds incredible, amazing. But then we come to Hebrews and we're like, there's actually someone greater than Melchizedek. As great and amazing as this Melchizedek shadowy figure is, there is someone even better. Well, who is this? Who could be greater than the priest king Melchizedek? Well, here's where things start to get really interesting. When we look at Hebrews uh, chapter 7, Melchizedek, uh, you will know from history uh, that he ruled in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, it was later occupied by the Jebusites, so maybe he was a, a, a Jebusite ancestor. The fact is we don't know anything about his history, don't know where he come from. How did he come to know the Most High God? We don't know this either. Uh, it was uh, possible at this time uh, that uh, Shem, the son of Noah, had met uh, Melchizedek. That's a possibility, but we simply don't know this. We don't know how Melchizedek came to know the Lord God. But what is really interesting is that this unknown shadowy priest king Melchizedek is used in Hebrews to point us to Jesus Christ, to point us away from Melchizedek to the greater priest king. Now, as you know, the book of, of Genesis is all about genealogies. I mean, the book of Genesis, it's all about family lineage, preserving uh, the family tree. So to have a, a, a significant figure who is a priest king, a priest of the Most High and king of righteousness, king of peace, to rule in Jerusalem, to show up on the pages of Scripture for three, for three verses and then disappear from the pages uh, of Genesis the writer of Hebrews is using that as an instructive tool to teach us about Jesus Christ. The first thing that Hebrews is going to be teaching us, this is Hebrews 7 verse 3, is using the lack of genealogy for Melchizedek to prove the eternal nature of Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand me. Hebrews is not saying that Melchizedek was eternal. He's not saying Melchizedek as a priest lived forever and had no beginning and end. But what he is doing is using a literary tool so that on the pages of Genesis 14, Melchizedek has no beginning, has no end, has no family lineage or genealogy to prove the fact that if someone is in the order of Melchizedek, the silence in Genesis 14 concerning his beginning and end proves the eternal nature of someone in the order of Melchizedek. So let's not miss the point. Melchizedek is not really about Melchizedek. Right? Melchizedek is pointing us to Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 7 verse 3 says, Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. So Melchizedek, as great as he was as a priest king, 
Melchizedek is a, a shadow of the reality. Now, we might be thinking, well, Melchizedek is kind of setting the pattern that Jesus Christ is going to fulfill. But Hebrews 7 verse 3 says, Melchizedek was shadowing the Son of God. So who comes first? It's not Melchizedek. The Son of God comes first, and then Melchizedek is his shadow, so Melchizedek is pointing back to the Son of God. Even before Jesus Christ was born, Melchizedek was pointing to a greater one who had come before Jesus Christ. Melchizedek is a shadow, but also a forerunner of the perfect priest king. Now you also know when you're reading Old Testament history, to have someone fill an office be that prophet, priest, or king, that person usually has a very significant role in redemptive history. But it is almost unheard of to have someone fill two offices. But Melchizedek is both king and priest. And he ruled before the temple or tabernacle was built as a priest serving in where would one day be called the city of David. So Hebrews 7 is using the lack of genealogy to prove the lasting nature of Jesus Christ. Christ is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Hebrews 6 verse 20 makes this point as well. Jesus Christ is a high priest forever. He has eternal life because Melchizedek has no beginning and end. Therefore, Christ, who is greater than Melchizedek, has neither beginning or end. So Christ is eternal. He's the eternal king. The first aspect, his eternal nature. Second... The greatness of Jesus Christ is established when you compare the Levitical priest to Melchizedek as priest. How did Jesus Christ fill the office of priest? What tribe was Jesus from? He's from the tribe of Judah. That is the kingly tribe, right? Kings come from the line of Judah. We read nothing about a priest in the line of Judah. So how could Jesus from the line of Judah take up the mantle of priest? He could not be a Levitical priest. He didn't have the right family lineage. So the writer of Hebrews therefore says, Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not the order of the Levites, the order of Melchizedek, which is greater, which was before the Levitical priesthood. And the way in which Jesus becomes a priest is by way of vow, by way of promise. That's 7 verse 16. Puts it this way. We'll read 7 verse 16. And he has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, read Levitical, Levitical priesthood, but by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who is the one that made Jesus Christ to be a priest? He is a priest because of a vow, because of a promise spoken by God the Father. It is God the Father who sets Jesus Christ apart, vowing, promising 
appointing Christ, anointing him to be a priest. And it is because of his power, verse 16 says, that he can live forever and fulfill this office. Therefore, the indestructible life of Jesus, he lives forever, and the fact that he is a priest because of the Father's vow sets him apart and elevates him above every other priest. In this way, Jesus is the greatest high priest. And as the greatest high priest, he is able to do what no Levitical priest could do. Remember Levitical priest offered sacrifice day after day, year after year, generation after generation because the shedding of, of the blood of bulls and goats could not secure forgiveness of sins. And Levitical priests, they could only serve for between 20 and 40 years. That was the longest they could serve as a priest. And then they died. And their son would have to take up their mantle. But Jesus Christ is the perfect and eternal priest. No one takes his place. He doesn't give his mantle to anyone else. And what does Jesus Christ offer? He doesn't offer the blood of bulls and goats. He offers his own blood for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. That is what makes Jesus Christ and the atonement that he secures so much better and so much sweeter. You are a priest forever, verse 21 says. And since he is an everlasting priest, he is able to intercede for us and to save us to the uttermost. And just as an aside, this is what sets Jesus Christ apart from every other prophet, priest, or king that will live on the face of this earth. When you consider the false prophets, the false priests, who offer some other way or some other word, this is what sets Jesus Christ apart. Jesus Christ was made the perfect Messiah by God the Father. The Most High God sets Jesus Christ up and apart and says there is no other salvation, there is no other king, there is no other prophet or priest that can take this one's place. And by way of his indestructible life, he holds this priesthood permanently. Now, this is where he really, the rubber hits the road. This is the good news. Because Jesus Christ lives forever, because he is living right now, because he is seated at his Father's right hand in glory, because he is still your priest, your salvation is secure. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He's pouring out his spirit upon you. He, by his life, is proof that his blood has been shed. Complete forgiveness of all your sins has been secured. This is why we need to understand the office that Christ fulfilled and the atonement that he has secured. Having conquered the grave and been exalted to the Most High means that we have no other priest. This table here is not an altar. We do not continue or repeat his sacrifice. It is done once for all 
for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. And that means you have better access to a lasting covenant, verse 22. A covenant not of shadows, not of bulls and goats and Levitical priesthood, but the reality. The reality. And before we, we conclude, just a, an interesting aside. One of the things that Melchizedek does in Genesis 14 when he receives the tithe from Abram is he brings out bread and wine. Now this, I mean, this is fascinating. So what do we have taking place? We have the Lord's Supper celebrated with Melchizedek and Abram before circumcision was initiated. Remember, we always say the, the Lord's Supper, communion, takes the place of, 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 of circumcision, right, of cutting, right? that's a bloodless sacrifice. We have the Lord's Supper before circumcision. Right? What a wonderful blessing of, of, the, of the covenants, blessings that belong to us, reminding us of Christ's body and blood shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. He is the perfect, the perfect priest and our eternal righteous king. Isaiah 9, Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, taking a seat on the throne. Psalm 110 highlights both aspects of Christ's work. Psalm 110 speaks to his, his priestly work, but it also, Psalm 110, says that Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, all the enemies put under his feet, and he will rule for all eternity. One who will rule from a heavenly Jerusalem, who will bring the blessings of communion and the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is the true comfort that you and I have today. You have a living high priest and an eternal king who has secured your pardon and your victory. The necessary sacrifice has been made. Your atonement has been secured. So when we think about the atonement in Belgian Confession Article 21, when you hear words like this, perfect, eternal, once for all, complete. These are describing the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the eternal, once for all, perfect prophet, priest, and king. As we close, the supremacy of Jesus Christ is clearly on display today. As we confess in our article, we believe that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, made such by an oath to appease the wrath of the Father and to provide full satisfaction for us. He is the greatest one. Christ is the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, greater than David as the king of righteousness and the king of peace, greater than Abram as he fulfills the promise and secures covenantal blessings, greater than the Levites because he lives forever as our eternal great high priest. Jesus Christ is able to carry the weight and to complete the atonement. Praise God for Jesus Christ, for the Son of God, who continues to be our priest forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful riches that are ours in Jesus Christ. And we stand in awe. We are, we are standing in wonder 
as we find the, the picture of Christ already in Genesis. And we thank you for Christ and his fulfillment, for his perfect work, and for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. We pray this in his name. Amen.